So anyway, we are in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, uh, we are doing verses 1 through 29. Don't read the whole passage. passage. Start at 14. Thank you. My gosh. Starting in verse 14. Thank you, Pastor Doug. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who you are, a mere human being, to, uh, who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you will not be my people, they, were, they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this day, this opportunity to come and worship you with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for every single person sitting here, but we also thank you for every single person who is listening, every single person who is away from here, Lord, uh, and even the other churches across this whole state and nation uh, who are just praising you and worshiping you today, Lord. Lord, we ask that this service would be sweet music to your ears. Lord, that it would be a blessing to our hearts, it would be encouraging, it would be uplifting, so that we may serve you even better this coming week. Lord, we ask that you would just focus us today. We would be focused on what you would have for us. Lord, we pray for all of our members and all of our friends and families who are are not here or unable to be here because of illness or, or injury. Lord, we just ask that you would draw near to them today, to all those who would need you to be close Lord, for all those who are crying out for you. Lord, we ask for healing. We ask for healing in relationships. We ask for physical healing. We ask for emotional healing. And Lord, mostly we ask that we would be a pleasing servant to you. Lord, let us glorify in your name today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that Pastor Steve read this morning is difficult. 
It's difficult from the perspective that it has been used, if you will, as a proof text for what is called Reformed theology. At the core of Reformed theology, it's this, that God chooses who will and who will not be saved. Now, you can try to dress it up all you want, but that's basically where the foundation lies. Does God know who will trust him? Yes, he does know that. But does he direct individuals to trust him and then undirect individuals not to trust him is something I have a big problem with. Especially when you compare the whosoevers. When you go to John chapter 3 and you begin in verse 15 and verse 16, it says whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. When you go to Romans chapter 10, which in another millennia we might get to, Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do you justify both of those issues? Because both of those issues are substantiated by theologians from the scriptures. Someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong. I am going to lean more toward what God says. Can I get an amen from the congregation? When he says whosoever, why don't we just leave it like that? Why is it that we try to form God into our own God to determine who can and who cannot be saved? God doesn't do that. So that's why Romans chapter 9 is difficult because we come at it unfortunately, from different theological perspectives. And so this morning, I want to try to get some, some key. I don't know if this is going to work. Jimmy, you might have to do it for me. Just go to the next slide, Jimmy. There. We're going to give you definition of terms that are in this passage. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to verse 30, it is all about God's sovereignty. Then from verse, I'm sorry, verse 29, verse 30, all the way to the end of chapter 10, it's our responsibility. So we're going to focus quickly this morning. I'm going to condense a 45-minute message into 15. You're ready to go. Sovereignty. The sovereignty of God is best described as, if you will, the sovereignty of God means that he exercises his prerogative to do whatever he pleases and, if you will, with his creation. God can do whatever he wants. He's in charge. The word sovereignty comes from the Greek word, here it is, big one, sovereign. That's a king term. The ruler. God rules all that there is. And even in the moments when you think God is not in control, let me reassure you that he is. He is sovereign. He is the king. He calls the shots. 
And even the evil one, our arch enemy, he is on a short leash that God controls. He does allow the forces of darkness to do things. God allows that, but they first must check it out with him because he's the king. They cannot react. They cannot do whatever they want outside of God's prerogative. He is sovereign. The next term, Jimmy, if you would go there, please. Providence. Providence. Sovereignty and providence go hand in hand because of their description, because of their definition. In other words, providence is the outworking of God's eternal plan for mankind and his creation. In fact, God's providence is eternal. Even before Genesis 1-1 was penned, even before God said, let there be God's plan, his providence was established. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to deliberate about it. God is his providence, his plan. And as Steve Green sings in his song, God and God Alone, man can't change that. Because it's God's and God's alone. It's his plan. And along with that, also is the definition that goes that it, it is the invisible and mysterious. That should be hand. I'm sorry. It is, the, it is the invisible and mysterious hand of God at work in the details of history to bring about to pass his sovereign will. Do you want to know what the sovereign will of God is? It's simple. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't, get any more, it doesn't get any more, if you will, confusing than that. It is simple. It is redemption. It is God redeeming the earth and souls of men and women and children to himself. That is his providence plan. That is his will. As we get to this particular verse, when you get to uh, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. To those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose, his providence. In Psalm 22 and in Psalm 103, it talks about the kingdom of God. That he is in control. Not only is it his mysterious hand in and about, but in his righteous, wise, and loving providence, God brings to pass his eternal purpose for his glory and our eternal good. That's his providence. Everything that God works is for his glory and our good. We may not see that right now. The disciples in the midst of the storm said to Jesus, don't you care that we die? They didn't understand or they forgot that Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Sometimes storms get us away from trusting what it is that God has said. 
It's just providence. The next two are the ones that call to us the difficulty. Jimmy, the next slide, please. Election. No, this is not about selecting servants in the government. Which, by the way, you all better show up come Tuesday. You all better show up come Tuesday. Now, if I make you say amen, that means you're saying it to God that you're showing up on Tuesday. You're showing up, right? Amen? amen. Yeah, man, okay. Election, here it is. The sovereign prerogative of God to choose individuals. See, that's the problem. Because we want to stop there. The whole doctrine of the Reformed theology concerning election is, it's God's prerogative to choose people. But that's not the biblical definition of election. He chooses people, yes, families, groups, and nations to serve his kingdom purpose as he so wills. Notice the second one. Election is specifically related to service, usefulness, and blessings, not individual salvation. The Apostle Paul brings that out in Romans chapter 9. That God said, the blessing of God will come through Sarah in the birth of Isaac. It's in his seed that the promise will come. And then when he comes from Isaac, he comes to Jacob and Esau. And we wrestle with that phrase that Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. See, right then and there, they say, God has elected Esau to hell. No, he hasn't. God has chosen Jacob. Why would he choose Jacob, a conniver, a liar? I don't know. Why did he choose me? That's even the greater discussion, isn't it? Why would God choose me to stand here in front of you? God, don't you know who I am? Uh, yeah, I do. I know exactly who you are. But I've determined to use you for a purpose. When God said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, it's not about destruction. It is about God's plan to bring blessing and favor upon the earth. He chose Jacob over Esau for the purpose of God fulfilling his plan. The third one. Excuse me. Jesus died for all human beings without exception and desires all to be saved. Someone help me out here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the fulfillment, if you will, the satisfaction of God for our sins, but not only ours, but for the whole world but for the whole world. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, 
verse 8 through 11, talks about that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <coughs> Excuse me, verses 10 and 11 talk about the destruction that's coming upon this earth. In verse 11 it says, And knowing these things, what type of people ought we to be? Living for the glory and wonder of our Savior. That's election. Don't lose sight of that, please. That will mess you up if you lose sight of this when you come to Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. If you don't grasp this definition of election, God has not chosen people to be condemned to hell. That is their decision. That's their decision. He has offered the gift of salvation for the whole world. He has placed that gift for possibility for the whole world. It is sufficient for the whole world, but is only effective for those who will believe. Please don't look at election as being anything else other than God using individuals, families, yes, even nations, for his glory, not for eternal salvation. If God has chosen, if he has elected Israel to be his chosen nation, which I totally agree according to scriptures, then why does the Apostle Paul say, all of you that think you're Israelites really aren't Israelites because you've not believed. He talks about the remnant. The remnant. If this definition determines the destiny of an individual, whether heaven or hell, then all of Israel should be going to heaven. But they're not. They're not. They fall on the same sword as all of humanity. Whosoever believes. Whosoever calls. Whosoever trusts will be saved. It's not dictated nor determined by God. Lastly, Jimmy, calling. The calling of God. And this gets sticky too, but hey, let me walk you through it. The customized life purpose God has ordained and equipped you, <coughs> excuse me, to accomplish in order to bring him the greatest glory and achieve the maximum expansion of his kingdom. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God, if you want another word, predestination, that God has predestined we should walk in them, predetermined we should walk in them. You want to know what God's call for your life is? Get in the word. Look at the gifts he's given you. Look at the talents he's given you. And focus that upon God 
What is it you want me to do? I didn't want to do this. I wanted to be a farmer. And when my father-in-law said, no, God's got something better for you, I said, okay, I'll go to Bible college and be a youth pastor. No. Okay, then I'll make you, I'll go into music. That's why I wave my arms once in a while. I still got that. And God said, I'll let you do that for a while, but I got something else for you. No. Yeah. Okay, you don't want to do it? Be a custodian for four years at Milton Hershey School and clean women's bathrooms when the, when the search committee calls you. Where are you? I'm in the girls' room. What are you doing in the girls' room? <laughs> Cleaning. I have lost so many battles at the porcelain goddess. <laughs> when you are at the altar of the throne, porcelain goddess throne, you, you ain't going to win with God. He's got you where he wants you. You're on your knees trying to clean around the back of it. Them high school girls, they are nasty. <laughs> Good Lord, have mercy. And in that, God made it real. This is my calling for you. This is what you will do. Okay, you win, God. You win. In the calling, though, also, your calling is unique to you and will often, that should be not often, involve an intersection of your past experiences, passions, gifts, skills, position, and personality when God ushers you into his fulfillment. In other words, you will find out who you really are in the kingdom of God. We haven't gotten to the text and we're not going to. I could not go to the text without explaining these terms. In my study, I've sat and listened to panel discussions on this. And they always seem to go to well, this book says this, or this book says this, but I've not yet them go hear them say, whosoever will may come. Romans 9, 10, and 11 have nothing to do with determination of Israel's salvation. It has everything to do with God's determination of how he's going to use them. They right now are put on the back burner. When we go to the book of the Revelation, the heat's going to be turned up and they're going to start to boil. They will become the missionaries of the world. Right now, God is dealing with Gentiles. We are in the times of Gentiles. Yet coming is God's renewal 
Has God forgotten Israel? No. In chapter 9 and in verse 1, has God's word failed? No. It hasn't. On the 29th of this month, I am going to take an extended period of time on looking at the events of the world as they relate to the end times. I've asked the board to allow me to do that. And because of the fact that on the 29th we have our community connection, there won't be any adult Sunday school classes. We're going to combine that into one service. And I'm going to take an extended period of time. That morning service, just from me sharing, is going to be about 45 to 50 minutes. Then we can go over and have refreshments. But I've seen so much happening, and I hear so many people claiming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Maybe not. Maybe. we got to go to what the Scripture says. And in that, we will come to understand the plan of God. How does the war in Ukraine fit in that? How is the war that is brewing in our own nation? How does that fit into the end times? Especially in Matthew 24, where it says, parents will hate their children. Children will hate their parents. How does that all fit into what is called the end times? Is Jesus coming? Yeah. Yes, he is. When? Don't know. But we'll figure that out. Not that I'm going to set a date, by the way. But we're going to figure that out. That's the 29th. That service is going to be at 9. And it's probably going to go, not to 9.30, it's probably going to go quarter of 10, 10 of 10, we'll see. But that is very important. I think we need to be awakened to that. Because the world is wondering what's going on. Have you heard? Putin has already said that Poland is next. Poland is next. He said if Finland gets accepted in NATO, Finland is next. Wars, rumors of wars. How does that fit? The 29th. My time is done. Let's stand, shall we, for prayer.